Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to keep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. Hello, 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 everybody! Welcome, 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 welcome to the Movie Show with Joel and Ryan. Hi, I'm Joel, and I'm Ryan, and uh, and welcome to the podcast that dare ask the question: Can a podcast be both overrated and underrated at the same time? Um, and uh, you know, I venture to say that yeah, yeah, we can, we can. I think Ryan and I can accomplish that. Yeah. Um, we set we set modest goals for ourselves, but I thought I'd like to think that we we can uh, we can reach them. Just us uh, for a couple you... more weeks, right? Yeah, yeah. We got a couple weeks, and then we're gonna. We jump tried into... to get more people on, but they just would not come on. They have their lives and their families and crap like oh. that, and they're totally oh, prioritizing people. that stuff over us, Joel. And uh, yeah, I exactly. I mean, and what is with that? I mean, look, I don't want to start the show off on a rant. And all negative, like, but um, look, I ditch my family every week every for you week. people, yeah, for 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 you listeners, and because that, that's how much I care. Uh, and Ryan, Ryan sets aside hours of time to just get his brain matter all warmed up for <laughs> for his for his amazing Ryan hot takes. Um. It took and, some hours uh, this week. Analysis. Sometimes it's yeah. magic and it just happens. Yeah, just, <laughs> this one, this one was a little uh this one, the hamster, the hamster in the wheel got a little tired on this one. And because we <laughs> we made him we made him work. So um, we come to you unenthused and exhausted <laughs> yeah. and overrated and underrated. Yeah, and bitter, and we're just gonna be like people just like what we're saying, please. Uh like us on Apple Podcasts and yeah. um Tell the Podbean people to like give us a free year of hosting or something because yeah, yeah, we're yeah. so good. That'd be good. Um, but no, uh, so especially yeah, since this... Joel has the auto pay turned on and Ryan has yeah. not been pulling his weight. Oof. As far as yeah, Joel keeps Joel keeps forgetting, and then I'm like, I'm like, Ooh, oh well, okay, well we'll go, we'll, we'll you know, uh, here's it's my yeah, it's my master plan. All <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you expect me to pay mr bond no I, just i expect I paid you to the first time man it's just like a good <laughs> drug dealer from the 80s you know and then uh you get joel all addicted to it and eventually yep, he, and... He, just, he just keeps coming back for more baby it works like a charm that's why just like that's Nancy why Reagan said yeah, that's why I hear Jan Hammer music every single time I I go into Podbean and in the account settings, and I hear like I hear awesome Jan Hammer music, and I'm like, yeah, that's right. I need I need the oh, just just leave it on, just leave it on, just leave it on. oh, gotta have it. We'll see. I right, in we my got, veins. We got six or so months to worry about that, but yeah, indeed. So six. a little bit. Yeah, anyway. You know, you guys like a 
view behind the scenes. So, but <laughs> we got a huge, giant monster list of films to talk about. So That's we true. Should... Yes, um, we are going to be talking about movies that um, that are traditionally or. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, kind Aided. of universally, yeah. I mean, they're not liked. <laughs> I was going to say like the the conventional wisdom. That's what I was going for. The conventional wisdom of that's the of term I use critics. a lot because they things get especially today, but throughout time, things get put in their little box. They get defined, yeah. and they don't. Yeah. And even if they get revisited and they find their audiences, they don't. That whatever that label is that's put on them that it doesn't get reevaluated nope. ever i shouldn't say no. ever but it's a really hard thing for a any piece of art a song a film a tv show to escape from the chains of that and so mm-hmm. we're gonna see if we can you know. right so we're gonna get yeah so we're gonna revisit a bunch of films uh to see if indeed they are as bad as if they are who they say they are, um, I've done my Denny Green. Um, it's not bad. And uh, and uh, so, and and to see if if these movies actually are worth giving another chance. And um, you know, you may not be able to run down to your uh, local CNC video store or a blockbuster, but um, these are all available essentially in Video Corner. Oh, I, <laughs> no. Okay, I'm going to have to edit that. Are you? Well, I mean, we're giving, you're giving everyone a behind the scenes. This is the kind of day it's been. Boy, Joel forgot to reset. Have all we the ever sounders. really edited a dumbass mistake like that before? I think we No, it no. We'll, and we'll while it's it playing, in. I'm going to go get a Coke because I left it in the, over in the kitchen. <laughs> all right. Let's Here leave we go, it in, folks. baby. Let's go. We're going to video corner. It's the only way to get what you want to watch when you want to watch it. Action, adventure, horror, comedy, drama, suspense, romance, great entertainment, always a great value. Whoa, that's that's right. Perfect coke fetching length I made that thing. (laughs) It's good. To, well, now you know that, like, when you're watching TV at home, just by yourself, and you're like, "Ah, I'm gonna get another Coke." You just gotta hit that, and then you know that by the, t- you know, it'll be done by the time you get back. And, um, and frankly, anytime we hear those uh, whiny dinosaurs, um, they're so depressed about becoming extinct. And di- I remember, like, back when we first did this, didn't we find out that woman's name? We found who that woman no, was. No, no, that was a that was a lie. Rob told you what her name was, but it was he was just making it all up. Oh, I feel I feel so I feel so abused because he because we both believed him. I mean, it was mm-hmm. a really good prank on us. Even it was and, a terrible yeah. prank because he told us that we believed it, and then it was like a year and a half and several appearances of his later where he fessed up to doing it which is if you want to play gotcha you got to kind of do it in the moment so in a way it was classic rob he got us with with what we believe to be his extensive knowledge of films which i now doubt completely yeah yeah Uh, but he just he came in with the you're on candid camera like a year later like he can't wait a year oh my god i remember this now see i blocked it I had blocked that shame. 
I, I remember I it. I feel like some of these movies abused. Um, yeah, yeah. He, he he definitely he came at you with that. Look, right, these Rob. are. We'll get into a couple little things here before we start, but then we really got to start. But these yeah. are these are. I don't want to say that. I guess I don't want to label them just bad, but because some of them aren't even bad, but they are. There are reasons that uh, critics, at least, agreed to to dislike these. You know, there are reasons for all of them, and we're going to go through why. But it, I really like movies, and how often do you hear me just rip on some movie? Partly, we we expertly sort of you know maneuver around things I really hate, so that we don't have mm -hmm. to sit here and rip on things you like that I don't like. So we try to. We're slippery as far as that goes, but also, but mostly, if you stick within a certain kind of thing, I I like movies. Like I'm prone to like them. I want to like them. Yes, you know. And so, you know, so two things. Then I guess Joel and I, Joel's got a story he wants to tell, which his movie didn't fit this, but it is the perfect example. So it will start things off with it. But a couple things. One, we're calling the show underrated. That's the lamest thing to call something. Underrated, <laughs> overrated. Am I right? I mean, in today's, mm -hmm. in today's sort of how we discuss things, like those are terrible terms. Um, these c can't be uh, overrated because they're all rated terribly, and that's right. the fun of the show. We'll see if we can bring some of these back to life and discuss some of them and see if you guys agree or disagree or if you're willing to maybe give one a second glance or give one a try for the first time based on that. Um, and we left out a whole category of movies that I really like, science fiction and fantasy movies. Yeah. Because when we were going through the list, we realized that's like every other movie. Yeah, <laughs> from, we, yeah we were like... From this era... Uh, from around the late 90s to 2010 or so. So um, from the kind of from the birth of the sort of CGI blockbuster to mm -hmm. about the, you know, the start of Game of Thrones and the start of uh, the MCU, essentially. That's not exactly right. And and then a few years later, 2013, 14 or so, the real explosion of of original streaming content. So this is a narrow window. We're not going all the way back to the seventies. We've done 70 shows. We, you know, mm -hmm. um, but what we found was we were able to leave out this key category and come back next week and do this whole show again, except just with sci-fi and fantasy. Which just, we're going to stay just in the world of sci-fi, which yeah. means I'll, you know, I'll be able to have, uh, you know, much bigger uh, sound effects like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll you know, be able to get out the cypher. big sound effect on the show? Because that was I pitiful. hate you. Well, I, I that was you. terrible. I didn't, and it was bad, you, but I, you. I had. <laughs> it's so I, sad. I could, I could have, I was like, I thought I had a good, I thought <laughs> I remember from the V episodes that we had a good. That's that a, we had a, that's oh. the saddest, sulky little sad boy shooting the most <laughs> worthless little laser pistol ever. Oh, uh, I could have done. No. 
All right. <laughs> this is getting off the rails. Uh, yeah, we're... So let's... Let's, uh, go, let's anyway. go back to the original point. No, but you're right. One of the original points that you made, you know, we talked about how overrated, underrated uh, is they're, they're they're not great terms because it means that somebody has gone back or, you know, they, they <clears throat> have gone back and looked at them, but they can't just in, in turn, they can't just say, no, this is a really good, this is a good movie. This, you know, we're going to call this a good movie now. It has, you're right. It still stays in its little, in its little silo, in its little, pigeonhole but now it gets the little like the little post-it note put on it saying this is actually really good so we'll call this underrated underrated yeah but i honestly don't think even uh, i mean that's that is how we're using the term on the show and we stand mm -hmm. by it because we think it it that's what it means but i think it's just used in this so and so is underrated which mean which all that means is i really like them and you all don't like them enough Right. And that's that gets into subjectivity and stuff. And it's a stupid, lazy way of saying that you like something without having to explain it. Because you're already saying underrated. You're already all wrong about this. It's just a bad way to get into a and, and overrated is even worse. Well, such and such is so overrated. That's just your way of saying, I don't like that, and I can't explain why, and I'm bitter and angry that you like it more than me. <laughs> and mm -hmm. it, it's just like, that's that's not taking into account really what the rating is at all, or at least not much. We're actually going to look at the ratings of these things, and we'll see how it goes. But yeah. And then we're going to do it all again next week, I think, with science fiction and fantasy films. And I think from basically the same era, and I think it it'll be fun because there's some with you know with genre stuff, there aren't too many horror movies. There's some mystery, suspense, and thrillers and stuff. Not too many mm -hmm. horror movies on this list. There'll be some sci-fi horror next week, but because those films more than any, I think are super subjective, and I don't think we would do a list like that on our own. I think we would have to have some. Bring in right. some horror aficionados, of which we know a couple. One comes immediately to mind, in fact. All right, so before we get into 95, 96 and that glorious time, that post-Jurassic Park era where anything was possible in the movies, Joel. Indeed. Indeed. Let's it go back a... a few years earlier to Joel mm -hmm. as a senior in high school. Yeah, I think I was. Yeah, I think it was a senior or maybe the end of my junior. I can't remember when exactly this came out. Um, yeah, yeah this remember, was the first. I remember the Oprah episode where, you know, I remember when Oprah back in the 90s used to just bring mm -hmm. the whole cast and crew of a movie on and then they just talk about the movie for an episode. Yep. This would have been so this would have been by the time I saw this, this because I would have seen it in the summer. Um, Sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's OK. We Hey. Uh, you know, you get, you can make all the clanking and clunking you want. I'm hitting the wrong sounders and not resetting them and hitting them in the middle. Uh, but I, um, this would have been in the summer between my junior and senior year, the glorious year of 1991. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and going out to, uh, going out with friends to, uh, the, the Terrace movie theater, um, you know, one of the cheap theaters in town and you could go. Well, it was a giant palace theater. It had a giant oh, yeah. lobby. It had one giant screen. It was not 
so just I don't want the terrace. You, you can search it on our page, and I posted a yeah. really nice picture of it in its heyday in the fifties when it was built. So it was a big. Oh, it was a yeah, it was a grand movie house. Yeah. In, in but its it just day. it it yeah, but it just was. It wasn't a cheap theater mm-hmm. yet in '91, but it was about to kind of be one, and yeah. and then it was going to just be torn down because a cheap theater, even a regular theater, couldn't really justify the cost of being a 400 seat auditorium and everything. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, and this was uh, you know Stallone, uh, Sylvester Stallone, trying uh, again going into the world of of, of high comedy. Was this and pre was, or post? Don't stop, or my mom will shoot. Uh, that's a very good question. I feel like this was it, the first dip into comedy, and not. The I second. think it was the first dip too. Um, not that there wasn't comedy in his other movies. Well, because there was, or, yeah, there was well, Rhinestone, the, and there was some other. Things. I was going to say there was Rhinestone, but this was him and, as a big, big. Box yeah, this was him. Yeah, definitely uh, not doing see. an action movie. So. Um, so yeah, this was, this was the year before stop or my mom will shoot. He actually did this movie. uh, He did this movie Oscar. And then the next movie, uh, the next movie that he released was stop or my mom will shoot. And then, and then he realized, Hmm, maybe I should, maybe I should stay in my lane and do cliffhanger and demolition man and the the specialist, um, and judge dread. And, uh, so uh, but yeah, this is, so this is Oscar. This is a screwball comedy. This is John Landis, uh, adapting a, a French goofball, crazy comedy about, uh, a mobster who promises his dying father to go, to go straight, to give up the life of crime. And of course that never happened. That, you know, that never turns out good. Um, as, as soon as you think you're out. They pull you back in. They pull you back in. And sometimes it's dramatic and sometimes it's funny. And um, yeah, and I I remember and we went and I remember just I remember laughing and thought it was was clever and fun and, um, uh, you know, kind of in that. And it was, you know, stylized in that sort of, uh, uh, you know, almost kind of like Billy Wilder, you know, crackling, you know, trying to do some crackling dialogue. And, um, and yeah, and I thought, you know, and again, I, this was the nineties and, uh, and, you know, Stallone, uh, Stallone was, you know, King. Um, and so it was just like, oh man, look at Stallone up there. It's like, yeah, he's so funny. And and it was, yeah, and it was, it's a charming movie. It's got, um, uh, uh, where's my cast list? It's got, um, you know, uh, Donna Michi and Tim Curry, Marissa, Tomei, uh, I mean, it's the provolone family, by the way. That's that you know, <laughs> that'll tell you right there, uh, that this movie ain't exactly digging deep on the comedy. Um, well, Kurtwood it, Smith, it, Chaz it, Palmateri, it, it doesn't have to, it could be, it could be played a little more straight in how it's scripted, but the mm-hmm. whole point of the thing is it's a farce, it's a it's it's a farce. It's situational comedy. You know, it's it's the mob, but it's really like a Three's Company episode, mm-hmm. which I always yeah. go back to as examples of what farces are. Somebody tells some lie or somebody's hiding some truth and they just got to jump through these ridiculous comedic ho- oops <laughs> to continue to maintain whatever yep. that facade is. And that's that's why it comes from France and it it, it uses all the best stuff. 
from that French adaptation, and it it and then it kind of has its own like obviously American gangster spin on it as well. But the American spin isn't what's great about the movie. It's the farce because you can take a guy like Sylvester Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger or whoever, mm-hmm. and when you put them in a farce. They don't even have to be funny. All they have to do is play the reality of the crazy moment. And a matter of fact, that's what you most want them to do. And the thing works. So Oscar was, was, I don't, we couldn't find a positive critic review of it anywhere. It's just, I could, I found one. Did you? Who? And it was actually Gene Siskel. Wow. Of all people. Gene Siskel gave this three out of four stars. He says the first reel is disastrous, <laughs> but then the film included truly funny work by an enormously talented group of supporting players. Um, now, uh, Sis- Sis- Ebert actually liked, liked the movie a lot less, but still gave it a thumbs up. So on the TV show, you know, at the movies, they gave what? it two thumbs up. That's and, where it and, counts other- the most. But then but li- how is it all of its aggregate reviews so dastardly low? This is a literally digit, they're the only two. Like, they're the only two, and 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 it's um, they just yeah, wanted and to have fun, I guess. Yeah, I guess they they got you know, but everybody else you know absolutely absolutely destroyed it. I think but, it also gets it's so low aggregate because when people hated it, they gave it you know they yeah, gave yeah. it half stars f's d's you know they they really hated it this that's a common refrain that you're going to hear throughout this show it's not just that they hated it it's that they really hated it why might that be the case in this case like they were it's like they were offended that this movie was even made yeah or at least that's how they treated it um that happens sometimes when a star yeah, like we say, he's been in comedies before, but when a big star known for this or that does something different, the the hammer comes down a lot mm-hmm. um, as punishment for having to give lukewarm reviews to Tango and Cash and stuff. Now here's their chance to to just pound this dude for all the mediocre action Cobra garbage that they've had to sit through. Right. We, you see that a lot. This movie is just liked by audiences, though. It's really, really liked a lot by audiences. Everywhere you go, where it's the people's choice or where you get to vote, it's securely in the seven range, which means that, you know, even though there's this people who don't like it, truly, it it's mostly really liked yeah. to climb out of that hole from a audience, you know, reputation standpoint, which is weird. Mm-hmm. But why why hate it, man? That's the question. Right. Well, you know, I think here's. I, I mean, I think. I, I mean, this isn't. You know, I obviously this is also in the era before, like all every backstage and backroom deal, and uh, the making of the movie is just as important as yeah. the uh, as the movie itself. Um, we. Uh, Audiences didn't come to this with some preconceived yeah. notion. They just had their. They were in an era where they could have their honest response to it. And- but I think you know. But I think uh, uh, you know a, a movie like this, like it was originally supposed to have Al Pacino in the lead role, and that would have been perfect because it would have been The Godfather, you know, doing this comedy about a crime family trying to go straight. 
and nobody letting them and and that you know that so and and i yeah i i think it was uh you know i think it was like you said just a chance for them to um a, ch- a chance for for critics to just bash stallone for being stallone um and uh but yeah it um it was uh it was you know i i like and i so i remember liking it and then for years um i would talk about this movie and uh and i would get you know kind of brutally made fun of (laughs) for 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 liking this movie liking oscar and i'm like oh i thought it was funny and it was was one of those weird movies that for some reason i mean you really aren't yeah you know, yeah, and, but it was one of those movies that I stood, you know, because it's so easy to say, well, I really liked it. And then they're like, well, it's crap. And then you're like, the more you think about it, you're like, yeah, you know, it wasn't a good movie. And you're like, <laughs> okay, well, maybe, maybe, you know, it's easy, especially when you're young to just kind of go along with the pack. And, 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 but this was one for some reason I dug my heels in on <laughs> going, going, no, Oscar is good. When you brought Jeff it up, when we, were, we were having our, when we were having our back and forth about it. I, I was like, that wasn't hated by critics. I had to kind of go lo- start looking it up, and I was like, oh my god, it was really mm-hmm. hated by them. Because I've only seen it once, and way back then, and I didn't like mm-hmm. it, but I didn't hate it. I just yeah. was like, why would? How could you hate this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is absolutely a movie that is. I guess just, because it's that is just trying because to it's, be it's silly easy and to make fun of. It's an easy victim, basically. So yeah. it's it's an easy film to bully. And so people did, but I, I just right. feel like eh, it's harmless enough. Right. So we are going to go and we're going to move uh, forward a few years and we're really going to start this list off proper with um, a movie that is, uh, boy, this one, I, I this is one that I really do remember a lot of, um, a lot of talk surrounding the film before it ever was released. And I it sort of feel like this is one, one so of the first ones that I remember film that had before you name it, this film had one of the worst promotional tours uh, right. that I can ever remember. It just everything that was said about it and everything that it was bad and just really hurt its reputation before it even opened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this was one that I felt like it was the, this was the first time I really felt I really remember a movie and feeling like the judgments have been made about this movie before the movie ever came out. Um, and part of and, that is because it's an adaptation of a piece of literature that a lot of people had read and like junior right. high and such. So there's, it was going to be anytime you do that, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you adapt a Dickens tale or something. I mean, there's going to be an idea of what it is. Right. Right. Uh, so, but um, go ahead. I'll this let is, you... Yeah. Well, yeah. And this is, you know, this is what happens when there's an affair between a young woman and a pastor and it's found out and she has to wear the scarlet letter. <laughs> um, yeah, it's yeah, ni- 1995 Scarlet Letter with uh with Demi Moore and Gary Oldman um directed uh, yeah, by Roland, Duvall, Joffe, yeah, Roland who made, Joffe who made the great uh The Mission and he directed uh Killing Fields and he's a re- was a really accomplished director so he's a good fit for this sort of material. But a couple things happened. Uh the biggest one 
and I'm telling you, it goes back to junior high. It goes back to an inordinate amount of people my age, but especially like baby boomer age or whatever, who all were meant, all were forced at one point or another to read this story. And they all knew this, the Scarlet Letters story. I think that today, I don't know. I don't know if it's as much of a linchpin in, in like schools, public schooling and stuff as it was then, but it really was then. You have to understand that first of all. So they took this tragic tale and, and the first thing they did was they gave it a happy Hollywood ending. I don't uh -huh. know what producer's idea that was, but what a, a colossally terrible idea. Then mm. you sent these people, Demi Moore, Gary Oldman, Oldman, who was sort of at the height of his bad behavior days or just coming down from them really around this time, 95. Uh, but still very like on screen, still a very dangerous presence. I think very much so in this film. And so what that left, Demi Moore to kind of carry the weight as far as, well, I'll go on this show, I'll go on that show. And she's saying things like, well, I didn't, I mean, they're asking her about the the story and she's like, well, I didn't read the story and I just read the script. She's got all these Hollywood answers that were mm -hmm. really not <laughs> accepted. Yeah. And then you've got yeah. Bruce Willis, who she was married at the time, defending her, only reading the script with whoever would listen to him. And you just... This thing just was a snowball of negativity and stupidity that couldn't be saved because it's a tough, it's a decent adaptation of it. It's got really good acting in it. It's, it's got all the things yep. you want, the design, the costumes, the widescreen photography. It's made by people who really know how to make a period tale come to life on screen. And it basically tells the story straight up. But you do have the very modern acting sensibilities of Demi Moore mixed with the extremely intense and off the rails, like I'm in my own world, Gary Oldman, mm -hmm. and those things don't really mix. Yeah. So when you say, yep. oh, they don't have chemistry or whatever like this, here's your example. Yeah. But Scarlet Letter's not a romantic story anyway. So I don't know that that sinks the thing as much as just this, you're a dumb, vacuous Hollywood lady who became a big star. She kind of became a big star for what? It, well, she was part of the Brat Pack. She was, it was, you know, yeah, yeah, but the, those movies, and, yeah, but that's and, not enough because yeah. Ali Sheedy didn't become a big star. Um, you know, she did fine, but that's not what Demi Moore was at the time. She, she was in a few good men and she was in a few other things, yeah. but why, why was she the biggest, highest paid female star in Hollywood is what she was at the time. Right. She right. earned that on uh, the back of what? I don't remember. Uh, she earned that on the back of, um, uh, well, about last night was a was a big hit for her. But it then wasn't it was, a hit. About last night was not a hit. I think for her it was, but then ultimately it was Ghost. It oh, was, Ghost, Ghost was okay. the one. Thank yeah, you. Ghost was the one that yes. that made her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Demi Moore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she yeah, followed that after up Ghost with a couple was, of really good things. Yeah, well, I mean, Ghost was the number one take, movie yeah. of that year, so that makes nothing sense. but nothing but trouble was in there. But we're but then we get to <laughs> you know, but then we get to a few good men, indecent proposal, disclosure, um, and then and then we get Scarlet Letter. But indecent proposal. She had a proposal. string. Yeah, yeah. but no, she had a. But str she's fantastic in disclosure. 
You know, yeah. so, I, you know, just looking at that list, like, I get it. I get it now. I just kind of couldn't remember but you're the right. context. But you're, but you're right. She has a very, it, it is a very modern, I mean, this movie looks gorgeous. Yeah. It looks, I mean, it is, a, a, you know, it set in, you know, puritanical New England. It is, uh, you know, it it's really great. It's stunning to look at. It's beautiful. Um, but it is, uh, you know, but yeah, but her acting style is is very much, you know, a product of the 80s and 90s. And Gary it's, Oldman is, like you said, yeah, Gary Oldman is in a different film. Um, and it's I mean, really, he just was at the time. He is in Dracula. He's in a different film, too. He's in his own world. Mm-hmm. That's not a bad thing, necessarily. It really isn't. But it it this was part of that cycle where it's like, it, it things feel like they don't connect yeah, and it works well it works for dracula because dracula is this singular outside thing yeah. this you need you know his reverend uh what is the reverend's name remember, um, but that's not Dim, important dimsdale but... reverend yeah reverend dimsdale needs to be you know yeah there needs to be some sort we need to understand why these two can't not be together uh, well, that, we, ha- that, that the movie to, makes they, pretty clear. What The hard thing is that we don't understand why they're compelled to be together anyway. Right. And, of course, the whole point of the story of the Scarlet Letter, which is an old story, was, you know, these people did something wrong, essentially. They did something mm-hmm. definitely against the norms of the time, but they're still against the norms of the time today. The, what the story demonstrates very clearly and what this movie version fails to by having some redemption at the end for the, not for the characters, but for the times is that the punishment for what they've done is completely out of whack with the sin. And that's, that's the harshness of the story. The movie, the movie delivers that, but then it doesn't. And I don't really think it's the ending that ruins it. I think it's, it's all this other weird minutia and Hollywood star Mm -hmm. stuff. And it's that, Critic, we just talked about it with Oscar. It's that critic Schadenfreude. You know, they just went after her in this way that seemed, again, seemed yep. seemed to not fit the crime of doing the Scarlet Letter or not having read the Scarlet Letter before she did the mm-hmm. movie. This and, the um, I think that the the those are the two big things that you know people attack to me more, but they really the, the fact that they hate that the the uh the ending was changed, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, really so I mean, stupid, yeah. Uh, so so why should uh, why should it be given another chance? Why should people give it give this another chance? It probably shouldn't be given another chance. Yeah, I mean, it, this maybe this not. really is they sort of nailed what was wrong with this. That doesn't mean it's a complete piece of crap. But it they mm-hmm. what what people hated about it at the time is the thing that's wrong with it. So it's a right. good place for us to start because we can say, all right, with this one, the critics yeah. might. I think it went more than just critical lambasting of a film. It it went mm-hmm. it got into just attacking celebrity and stuff and and they sort of had their sport with that which I think is sort of unfortunate but yep. Um next up is uh it, it, we're going to go into the world of Keanu Reeves which is another one that I think uh um you know he was a a, a polarizing critical figure um or a polarizing figure for critics i guess i should say uh in the 90s uh, and this is chain reaction two researchers in a green alternative energy project are put on the run when they are framed for murder 
and juries and chain reaction. Uh, the first of couple three movies that Keanu and Rachel Weisz did together. Mm-hmm. Um, and Morgan Freeman, I guess, is the other big name in this film. Yes, this movie was weird. It is a little weird. Okay, I'll admit, mm-hmm. it, but it mm-hmm. it's the real story of it is not a Keanu Reeves or or a Morgan Freeman story. It's it, Andrew Davis who had directed The Fugitive to fantastic acclaim the fugitive with the time it came out we look back on it as you know really good but at the time it came out it was considered somewhat perfect it was nominated for an oscar for best picture tommy lee jones won the oscar andrew davis the director who'd been making genre films and action films and sort of espionage films up to this point was could have made any movie he wanted and he made this weird a passion project called Steel Big, Steel Little with Andy Garcia playing twins, a rich one and a poor one. And this film is like a weird fable. It's got a lot of farcical elements in it, most of which don't work. It was this Mm -hmm. crazy vanity project that Hollywood was obliged to let Andrew make. And it, it, I don't know that it's terrible really, but it, the idea that it was going to be some big hit movie is was laughable when you watch it you're like wow i can't even believe it because you know it's twins it's, it's not easy to do the amount of effort and budget and all this stuff that went into that film for what you get out of it is 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 out of whack so this was let's go back to chicago let's shoot at night let's make an action movie let's let me get back on track here because mm-hmm. ever, nobody i went from being the prince of hollywood to being just this turd and it happened overnight and of course, this movie didn't it didn't it didn't bring him back into the light at all. But it's an interesting movie. It's about a bunch of it's the '90s. If you remember the '90s, they were the big MacGuffin in several of these films was Cold Fusion. Yeah, that was going to come along and save the, all our energy issues and all this stuff. And this movie is a bunch of kids, a bunch of grad students and scientists working on realizing Cold Fusion, and then they these two particular students caught without spoiling it get caught up in this uh, like a 70s conspiracy basically a chase movie it's exciting it's fun and it's it's mm-hmm. got some cool effects in it the chemistry between keanu and rachel's for real or they wouldn't have just kept putting them back together again in other future films they get along great it's fun it's not yeah. good but it's not it isn't some horrible thing that everyone should have hated so Right. It it's a movie that ultimately uh is kind of by the numbers. Yeah. And um and it, yeah, I mean I think I it's weird. I mean every review will be like, I mean it's fine. It's a little dull. It's fine. It's got some moments. It's fine. But when we look at aggregate in the present yeah. And when we've talked about this phenomena before, you if you're right there in the middle and you have to pick, is it good yeah. or is it bad? And you do have to pick. We we tend to not to around here, but critics have to do that. They all sort of flip to the other side. And when yeah. enough of them do that, or the high, high percentage of them do that, you end up with this thing that where everybody's like, eh. And yet yeah. its composite reviews are in the basement because it was really hard to find a critic who would flip to the other side and say, no, it's, it's actually 
passes the time and is diverting and fun enough for what it is. Right. Right. And, and that and that that to me is weird when I see all these things going, ah, it's fine. It's fine. Right. And then you know, like if they have a scale out of four or five, you know, it's like, OK, when I hear fine, that should be like two out of four or two out of five. Right. But then it's like one. And say, whoa, 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 let's let's reserve our ones for some real crap here. Really, we're going to get, you know, but it's like and and I, you know, I'm looking at Roger Ebert, um, uh, Roger Ebert's review of this. Uh, He again, he's just like, it's it's fine, but he gives it a 2.5. So he actually (laughs) is one that just sort of like totally rides the fence. I was gonna get it, but yeah, it's it is uh, it is a weird it is it's a weird one where I mean the movie is is uh, you know it's got good energy it's got good um, you know really good inventive location action sequences they go up to Racine Wisconsin where the big satellite dishes and there's this whole thing out on the ice on Lake Michigan Mm -hmm. it's very you know it's clever there's a really great that drawbridge on the Chicago River. It's very famously used in all kinds of Chicago movies. Uh-huh. They've got a great, like, the drawbridge is up, and he's got to go, Keanu's got to go, rides his motorcycle to the drawbridge, he's got to go over it and get to the other side before the guys get him. Like, you know, it's, and it has this really huge ending, which I won't spoil, because where that happens is this very specific kind of place, but. Yeah. It's weird that, again, it's, it, it really felt like, at least from a movie insider standpoint, it felt like, oh, you want to make a crowd-pleasing fun movie, huh? Well, <clears throat> not good enough. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know, relax, everybody. I don't know. A lot of these, that'll be my take. It's like, this isn't so bad. This is watchable. It's enjoyable. What, yeah. You know, give me a break, but whatever. Um, our next film is one that I thought, you know, I think I, I remember thinking and I think uh, I, I mean, I think that, again, the common uh, the common wisdom was that this was going to be the movie that was going to help launch superhero films um, and, and a whole string of superhero films. Um, there hadn't been that many up until there this hadn't point, been that honestly, many. Yeah. There, and the ones that there had been were were had been huge, you know, Tim Burton's Batman had been big, mm-hmm. stuff like that. This movie was, I get what you're saying, Joel, but this movie yeah. was really, hey, we're getting good enough at this that we could, we can, now we can start doing these on the cheap. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. There yeah. are lesser um, franchises out there. There's, you know, and now we, we could make this and it, it doesn't have to cost $10 trillion. And, right. and the kids will love it because, hey, it's superheroes, but... Right, and that is 1996's The Phantom. The Phantom. Oh, welcome, welcome to the list, Billy Zane, um, and Catherine Zeta Jones, and Catherine Zeta Jones. Which is Christy this is the first Swanson. movie I ever saw her in, and she's just—I mean, she's what we think of her now. Even in this stupid movie, she comes in when she's on screen. She's like, you're like, wow, you're just like that's a superstar. You can just feel it. That's weird. I don't tend to look at performances or actors that way. And yet every once in a while, somebody's like, you're just like, okay, you're, what are you doing here? Yeah. (laughs) Did you make a, did you, did you walk onto the wrong set and then just decided to stay? It's our first of two (laughs) prominent Treat Williams performances too, who's no stranger to stupid movies. Look, the Phantom's really stupid, but it's really stupid. The Phantom knows how stupid it is. 
it it wants us all to have fun with the idea of how silly all of this is, and it and it just it, in, instead of us all having fun together, we chose instead to just ridicule it. And again, I'll use the term bully it for no reason right. other than it's silly, and that doesn't seem like enough because it's got plenty of fun stunts in it. It's got plenty of goofy jokes in it. It's got a pretty entertaining bad guy who it's a sort of unlike treat Williams is hard to explain, man. He's this most enthusiastic, positive, bad guy. Uh, Xander mm-hmm. Drax begins and ends with an X. He's so, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? He's like a, he's like one of these startup millionaire CEOs, except he's back in the twenties in New York, you know, in the art deco, New York. Right. And, or 30s, I think. It's sort of right before the outbreak of World War II mm-hmm. is when this film takes place. But, you know, jungle adventure, uh, rickety jungle bridge with the truck that has to go over it, uh, biplane, you know, escaping from a boat on a plane and then escaping from the plane that's about to crash onto a horse. It's fun! I mean, what's wrong with that? Uh, Billy Zane looks great in his tight, super tight purple outfit. Who's the lady in it? Our hero, Christy Swanson. She's not so great, but she's good enough. Christy's a good enough actor. She she comes into this thing with lots of confidence. But it's the ancillary stuff that's so fun. John Tenney plays this super rich New York playboy cad of a character. I love John Tenney, and when he's tapped into something like that tonally, he's fantastic. Think mm-hmm. of the sheriff in. The, not the town sheriff, but the county sheriff in Tombstone. What a butthead. And Tenny right. just nails that. He gets what's unlikable about this guy, and he delivers it hardcore, but with a smile on his face. And that's just makes you hate him more. What's he saying that? I don't want to get into Tombstone, which is a good movie, but... Uh, co-founder of the nonpartisan anti-Chinese league? <laughs> what right. a dick! <laughs> that guy's a dick. Anyway, this is, and then when what's his face out drunk on the street, they're like, Sheriff, you got to go do something about this. He's like, well, This is not a county matter. This is a town matter. Right. Cowardly jerk. In this, he's just this harmless guy who's like, Hey, he's in a superhero movie where the fate of the world is at stake. And he's all, Where did I spend my 12th birthday party or whatever? It's just giant. I love John Tenney. I love the guy who plays the cab driver. I love all the henchmen and hoods. James Ramar is really fun in this. He's got this monologue where he's like, I killed him and he's dead, but he's alive. And he just keeps. (laughs) So it's fun. The movie's trying to have fun. You can see that when you watch it, Joel. Yeah. And it's trying to be, it, it is absolutely just trying to be a big comic book. It right. is, it is right. over the, I mean, it is, everything is sort of that over the top, you know, a cheese. It's got, you know, it's it, slathered yeah. in cheese and, yes. and it's, and, and it could work, but it just, it doesn't, it doesn't it just doesn't work, but it's, Close. it's so, it makes me so sad that it's not just critics, audiences too. It just makes me mm-hmm. so sad that they just, this film showed its weakness to us and we just attacked it like a virus we attacked this film for and i it bums me out because you can absolutely have a fun afternoon watching the silly phantom right and i think i think if you're you know uh, and i and if we're asking why should it maybe be getting why should it, it be given 
maybe another chance why someone should check it out. I think that is it. You know, superhero movies uh, are all taken, you know, we, we that's part of the joy of it is we take them, take them seriously in that, you know, I put seriously in quotes, that idea that, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're trying to ground the, 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 um, the, the, and, and put gravitas into the superhero story and trying to make it feel real. Uh, this in no way does that. Yeah. This is the, the premise uh, of the phantom character in the first place is a, a, a ludicrous one, a film yeah. that came out around a similar time that wasn't hated as much, but is much worse for the reason you're describing Joel is uh, the shadow with Alec Baldwin with Alec Baldwin. That, yeah. that film is undercut constantly by its own writing, just sort of making fun of it. This film wears its heart on its sleeve and it just wants you to have a good time and, have silly fun at, at a old school matinee adventure. And it, I, it's, it's cool that people hate it and still tease it and make fun of it. I hate that about it. Treat Williams, um, my favorite line in this, he shows up at the end, the big ending. And he, he actually comes encounter with these pirates, actual pirates. Um, who've been hiding out on this Island or whatever, protecting this weird, jewel or whatever you get that part's not important but he gets there and he immediately recognized them as fellow villains in the movie so he says well i wasn't really looking for a partner but hey i we might just be just what the doctor ordered you know you guys can represent the old guard of grizzled scallywags and peg leg beats and i'll i'm just the man to bring our vision into the future and he gives mm -hmm. this, again, this CEO-like speech at the end of this movie. I love Treat Williams in this movie. It's so fun. It's because he it sounds ridiculous, and it is, but he he keeps it right in here where it can work. And I it's yeah. uh I, he's not a favorite actor of mine by any means, but somehow, man, he finds just the right thing for this crazy bad guy. The likes of which <laughs> I think it it tough, you know. It's tough to find yeah. a, a character that's quite the same as him. It's fun. I don't know. I like the Phantom, so there you go. Um, all right. Next up is a movie that uh, people called it um, – uh, the critics, I should say, because uh, they're not people. Uh, <laughs> the, the critics uh, called it routine entertainment so entirely – it's so easy Adequate. for us podcasters to sit here and be like, the critics are all jerks. It's like, what are we really? We're not exactly yeah, – no, We've been actors before, you, you more than me. But we, when you when you start a thing, an enterprise like this, you really do become the critics. Which is yeah, and and we are critics, but um, but uh, the critics at the time yeah. uh, called it entirely adequate routine entertainment. Um, it's uh, it boils entirely down adequate. to an extended chase sequence. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and that is 1997's Hard Rain. Well, we got uh, a long which, ways to go, I, so we'll yep. hurry up here. Yep, we're gonna start. We're gonna start. Hard flipping. Rain is is was originally called The Flood. Yes. So it was like volcano and hurricane and earthquake. It was flood basically, and it's the story of these two armored car guys who break down in a small town that's flooding because of intense rain and their loot 
which they've been going around to every bank is about to get flooded and taking all the money. They got millions in the back of their car and it's mm -hmm. this heist movie and it's not good. It's not great. It's got, it, it, it's got Morgan Freeman, Randy Quaid, Christian Slater. This is even at this time, this is not the Hollywood a list, uh, mini driver, but no offense ladies, but she's a woman. So she could be at the height of her powers and still end up in a crappy movie like this. Whereas with the guys, it's probably not likely, mm -hmm. but Hey, flood action. This yeah. film has a chase scene on jet skis throughout the, the hallways of a high school. You're never going to see that in any movie other than this ever. That is a unique action scene. And this film really works overtime to give you one after the other, after the other, yep. after the other. And it has changing allegiances. It has all these twists and turns. And it has a bunch of bad guys that aren't, super terrible and uh, good guys that aren't the best people <laughs> right the town's people um, are sort of awful it's kind of like it's it it's christian slater is a traditional hero in it who turns the tables on the bad guys but that's it otherwise it's great it's it was directed by the he had just made a far off place the cinematographer from the late 80s and early 90s who was the best cinematographer on earth Mikel Salomon. And he never really got given an actual movie to make. He always had to make these genre films where the cinematography and the the you know the how to achieve them technically was the big thing. And he did the best he could of those. This is his I think this is his best movie. It's a super fun heist movie and it's a super fun disaster movie. And it is dumb and it doesn't live up to the sum of its parts, but, but it, one, which one I like do this, really? Does yeah, Dante's I like this, peak really? Yeah. I like this line um, that it, uh, uh, for this review of uh, otherwise, you know, it gave it a, it gave it a C. But um, it's it, the line is impressive because of the way it makes the flood look so vital to the narrative, um, and and that's actually you know that that is a that is a plus. That's the true the, accomplishment of the film. Yeah, I would agree. the the flood is vital to everything that is happening, the, and the, no the matter makes sure no matter who's that. shooting at who, the flood's the villain of the thing mm -hmm. in every scene, and that's that works. That to me, that's. I don't view I, if you view it as a heist movie, it's pretty lame. If you view it as a right. disaster movie, it's intimate and fantastic. I really think it's as good as any of the volcano films or the asteroid films of the era. So truly, but of course, I don't. Yes. I don't rate those super high to begin with. So, right, um, right, and you know, and if a movie like that is going to be really, you know, really beloved or really supported, and and you know. Uh, it, it's it's got to have something unique and special to it, and ultimately, uh, uh, that one does um, you know did not deep um, uh, hard rain does not. Um, but yet, lest we go more than a couple minutes, well, without it's got talking lots about of unique things in it. It doesn't have yeah. anything transcendent in it, though. I will agree with you on that. Sure. Um, I uh, I might I like hard wanna... rain better than Armageddon, but I can see why Armageddon connected sure. with people in hard rain didn't I, even i can see that 
Right. Um, I look, I don't want to go too long without talking about treat Williams again. So let's uh, move on to, uh, to deep rising. Yeah. Uh, um, again, we're going to stay on the water, but this time we're going to go out to the ocean. Oh, excuse me. Um, and we're going to have, uh, some, some hijackers, uh, take, you know, try it's to another heist. Luxury. It's another heist movie with jet skis in it. Yep, but this one where uh, what hard and maybe this was the failure of hard rain is it do, didn't have a giant tentacled man eating sea creature. Um, well, that's sort who, of a spoiler, uh, actually, because yeah. you don't really know what the hell is happening for the most of this movie, which is part of the joy of it, I think. Um, it's weird. It's packed to the rafters with pretty good actors who are starring in a really what they know is a really cheap, cheesy B movie. It's mm -hmm. at very much tonally the precursor. It was made by all the same people to the mummy, which came out a few years later, which was, which was beloved by audiences. I think part of, there's a couple things. They, the makers of deep rising theorized that they, that film, they made it. And then the, none of the effects worked. And the studio had to decide to grab the thing, release it with terrible digital effects, or hire a new effects house and go back and redo all of them, basically. And they chose, to their credit, Hollywood Pictures, owned by Disney, chose the latter. But then a year and a half went by and a bunch of monster movies came out. Nobody really made, I mean, like Jurassic Park aside and some other rather A-list stuff, nobody really made a cheap, cheesy monster movie in a while and that's what that's why this had appeal um it's a brutally violent hard r-rated film where a bunch of mercenaries are being brought out a bunch of evil mercenaries are being brought out to a cruise ship by a bunch of lovable cuddly mercenaries <laughs> so you know yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. these are the groups of people we're talking about to the to ostensibly rob this giant sea, the Argonautica, as Anthony <laughs> Held calls it, yeah. he's the designer of it and and the CEO of the company that put it out there. But they're they're coming out there to do this, and they've got this whole plan. And something, according to plan, goes wrong when these monsters or monster appears <laughs> and throws everything mm -hmm. into chaos and. The film still has pretty good digital effects in it. It's got really good sequences in it. Um, it Claire Forlani was cast in it and was fired a little ways into it for not having, for just not being able to sort of get with it what it was. She's just a little bit, it's, they say it's not her fault. She's great. She looked good. She just not, this is not her kind of thing. And she sort of didn't get the tone that they were going for. And it, it became clear she was never going to get it. So they brought, they fired her, which is sad, but they brought in a ringer, Fampka mm -hmm. Jansen, who absolutely gets it. She's the film's secret weapon. She plays, she plays again, a mercenary. She plays a petty criminal who's there just to pick pockets and like get a few thousand dollars off of the rich, horny guys. In the ship. <laughs> So they're all like, none of these people are good people. You know, it's just yeah. the degrees to which they are terrible and will turn on each other. Um, I, I, I find that, I mean, I, it's hard to explain because I feel a little dirty watching it. It's really gross. It's really mean. The monster is really spares. No one and is, is kind of 
really terrifying and gross and stuff. And and these characters aren't nice to each other, which can be hard to mm-hmm. watch. But Treat Williams, in a role that I can't believe I'm even saying this, I can't believe Summers admitted to it, the guy who wrote it. He said the role was written for Harrison Ford. <laughs> you were not yeah. going to get mid-90s Harrison Ford to do this piece of crap monster movie. Why they right. ever thought that was even a possibility is beyond me. But it, in horror circles and in action fan circles, this is a very popular film. Who, who nevertheless, whose critics' ratings of it are all almost universally negative, right, Joel? Yep, yep, yep. Um, uh, I want to move on uh, to. Uh, you don't have, have you never seen Deep Rising? Uh, I've never seen Deep Rising. I have missed it. Do you think people should give uh, Deep Rising another chance? Well, only if you can handle really gross gags and deaths and stuff. The monsters are really gross and terrible. They're these weird tentacle things with these huge teeth. And mm-hmm. people really bite it in really grisly ways. It's a, it's a hard R movie. But if you like the mummy and you like the tone of that, the rat-a-tat-tat, jokey sort of, hey, yeah, what's the mummy. going on? then yeah, the, you should enjoy it to some degree because it, it's written by the same people. It's really the same idea, It's but it's not toned down for general audiences at all. And that, I just right. can't stress that enough. It, it's a hard R, gross, gross-out monster movie that nevertheless takes place on a huge cruise ship and has a huge sort of action movie scale to it. That mm-hmm. You look at the cover of it and I just don't think it, you'd think it was something you wanted to watch. It was hard to sell. It's a bigger, huger, more accomplished, epic movie, like blockbuster-sized movie than you'd expect when you pop it in. And if you feel like, hey, I missed those, or I like that kind of storytelling, then yes. All right. Well, let's move on to 19... Let's go. We're going to spend a a couple movies here in 1999, and we're going to start with Antonio Banderas um, and The 13th Warrior. Oh, I love all of these, man. What's weird? Yeah. Um, 13th, 13th Warrior, uh, so 13th much to Warrior. say, and we're so, mm-hmm. we don't have time for any of these movies. Maybe this will be four episodes instead of two. <laughs> um, uh, 13th Warrior is a, is a man be, uh, who f- has fallen in love with the wrong woman and is sent by the Sultan to a distant uh, land as an ambassador, but he stops in a Viking village and uh, gets caught up in... Is that what uh, the synopsis is? Well, okay. Well, a man having fallen in love with the wrong woman is sent on by the Sultan himself on a diplomatic mission to a distant land as an ambassador. Stopping at a Viking village port to restock on supplies, he finds himself unwittingly embroiled in a quest to banish a mysterious threat in a distant Viking land. It's not even accurate. Look, uh, 13th Warrior is based on a novel by Michael Crichton called Eaters of the Dead, which is what the movie's working title was for years. Eaters of the Dead is a tough sell as a Hollywood yeah, that would be time. hard. Yeah, that's hard to get a Burger King but tie-in it, with that one. It, the conceit of the novel was Michael Crichton wrote this novel where he said, "This is uh, here's this is this tale that we've unearthed these documents that show this," and he goes through and tells it. It's got scientific footnotes and all this stuff, and the conceit of it is very much like the conceit of Crichton's earlier The Andromeda Strain, which was this happened. This is a report that tells you what happened. Mm-hmm. Okay. And all it is is a thinly veiled retelling of Beowulf and Grendel. That's all it is. It's that's all it is in the end. Um, it was directed by John McTiernan, a 
who made, you know, he I guess he'd made Last Action Hero recently, but he made Die Hard. He made Hunt for Red October. I mean, he made movies that yep. we all think are beloved classics. Um, he had gotten in his head, though, that this was going to be his big epic movie at a time when epic movies weren't welcome yet. They were just around the corner. But he, he shot a, like a three-hour thing, and the studio was like, we don't know what to do with this and you got to shorten it. And he was kind of like, nah, screw you. This is what, how I want it to be. So Michael Creighton, who directed a bunch of movies himself came in and edited down to what he felt was the essence of his tale. And it's fantastic. And Antonio Banderas, I mean, it is what it is, but it's fan it, it, for what it is. It's fantastic tale. It's mm -hmm. as good a telling of Beowulf that's out there that you can watch maybe the best one on film that I can think of. But Antonio plays this, uh, Persian ambassador, right? He's, he's a Persian aristocracy basically, but he's sent as an ambassador for punishment. Yes. That all happens. Mm -hmm. And he does trip across these, these Vikings, not in their village, but they, they're in mainland Europe for some reason. And, He's like, well, I'm an ambassador. Let's get to know these people. And he gets to know their culture. Uh, the great, um, what's his name, from from Dr. Zhivago and, and uh, uh, you know, Lawrence of Arabia. What's the actor's name? Uh, doo -doo -doo. Crazy. Big uh -oh. superstar actor that I yeah. should remember. Omar Sharif. Omar Sharif. Thank you. Omar Sharif plays his interpreter early in the film. In, in a great role. And what most importantly though, these Vikings, man, they're so vital and interesting. Um, the hero of this particular film, in fact, is his sort of Viking sidekick. The one who he can't speak English, but he, or Persian. It's hard to explain how they do the languages in the movie, but it's actually very clever as you're watching it, but he does speak Latin. So that's their common language between them. And so there, there's all this multiple interpreting going on early in the story. Mm -hmm. The sequence where, Antonio learns uh, Danish or whatever it is they're speaking is is genius, and I love it. And then, of course, it's all English to us. Thanks, Hollywood. Um, yeah. the, you know, the scene, it, it very much resembles the scene in McTiernan's uh, Hunt for Red October where they're speaking Russian and then suddenly... Russian and then it... Yeah, exactly. And then, it comes it's, back and then and suddenly up. it's all English. It's very cool. Um, it's got wicked sword action. It's got all this cool politics and these cool badass characters who do all kinds of cool things. Um, it's got great music. It's 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 got this great raid on the enemy fortress, which is this cave that's built into this waterfall like cliff. It's got this fantastic um shooting in this exotic land from this crazy adventurous time with this great outsider that serves as our surrogate throughout the story. I just really don't know what there is not to like about this. This mm -hmm. was at the tail end of let's make every Michael Crichton film. And I actually think Congo sucking caused this film to be piled upon as much as it was truly. I think, I, I think that is the key right there. Um, you know, it, it's it's uh, it's it was bashed by critics as, uh, you know, not having um, not having it but of looking good, but having like no thought and being pretty, you know, banal and and 
uh, like this critic who says, I, I, it's not a top critic or anybody like that, but I, I, I do like this line. Michael Crichton is quite a character. His films could use a little. Um, he's like, everything is first rate except the characters in the story. So it's, yeah, so they, they really, um, uh, I think it, it, you know, they're, they're just like big, and this is also budgeted touchstone adventure. And that's what, I mean, and that's what everyone, every one of these, every one of these, uh, 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 oh, not every one, but a lot of these critics all point out the budget. This is another one. This is one of those, I, you know, where it, we started to get into, oh, we're hearing about, oh, this movie has over a hundred million is a, over a hundred million dollars in budget. It, you know, money, more money, better equal good. And right. because it's not like this amazing thing, it's not Jurassic Park. It's not whatever. Therefore, it must be bad because it cost all this money and I didn't like it, so therefore it is... It, do, you, it is do you have uh, the cast list up before we move on from this? But I, I'm a huge yes. fan of 13th Warrior. I watch 13th Warrior once a year, and I get really excited when I get to watch it every time. <laughs> so give... It's yeah, just, so give um, that's a reason to give it a chance. Well, right there. for... I mean, it is a... It is a failed big budget movie, but it, mm-hmm. it it's so joyful in its storytelling. It's so incredibly exciting and interesting in how it reveals its mystery to you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I, I just, mm-hmm. there's, and Banderas is fantastic in it as this fish out of water like character, but it's, right. and who's the Viking. You're going to have to read down a few names and I'm not going to yeah, hear it. So I apologize, but I want uh, to get this actor's name out there. Cause he's a fantastic actor. Well, there's uh Dennis Storhoy. That's the one. Hey, first yeah, try. Herger. Yeah. Yeah. Herger. He's he's the one who knows he's the Viking who knows Latin. So he's the yes. best buddy eventually of our hero. And he's such a good actor. He's not in a lot because he he's got lifestyle issues that prevent him from being insurable and things, and he got fired a bunch from you know actual films in his home country. So because he because he's so I good in do this. that show. Well, he's so good in this that he should have launched into. I'm always like, surely there's room for him in these all these fantasy shows that we're doing and all this stuff. You know, he's a uh, is he Dutch or is he Danish or Swedish? I can't remember. Uh, Norwegian. Yeah. Okay. So either way, that uh, a Norwegian who can speak English it shouldn't prevent you from being in other films, especially other fantasy films. But he's 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 a guy who shoots himself in the foot a lot. He has not. He has not excised the Gary Oldman from his soul yet, even. <laughs> but God, is he good in this film? He's really, really good in it, and we'll never talk about him outside of the context of Thirteenth Warrior. So, <laughs> I just wanted to get that on the record. Well, let's uh, let's move on. Let's talk about a movie that's uh, that uh, critics have said uh, it, it's so overgrown with many directorial flourishes that the heroes need machetes to hack their way to within view of the audience. Uh, and that is uh, 1999's Plunkett and McLean. God, critics suck. Just listen to that. That guy who just said that, or girl, sorry, but whatever. No, it's Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert said well, that. Okay, Roger Ebert said that, who we love. Mm-hmm. That's such a terrible way to look at movies and the world. <laughs> so a lot of this is the mindset you come into something with. Plunkett and McLean, okay, I'll tell you the problem with it. Because it is enjoyable, but it is mm-hmm. very showy. 
uh, Robert Carlyle, Johnny Lee Miller, Liv Tyler, and Alan Cumming. Okay, so these are that's a lot of acting for your movie dollar. <laughs> Maybe yep. too much. I'll agree with that. Okay, but it is directed by one of uh, uh, Ridley Scott's eldest sons. Is it Jake Scott or Luke Scott that directed this? Jake. Jake. Jake's the older of the two, I believe. They both are filmmakers now. Um, and it's got this, uh, the guy who just had scored Romeo and Juliet for Baz Luhrmann, um, does the music for it. It's amazing music. It will, yeah, Craig, uh, Craig, Craig Armstrong, Armstrong, really, really great film composer. Although again, a, uh, in an era where the film music just needs to, to find its place and stay there, he's this guy where the music takes stage and that's not looked at very fondly anymore um but it's got this you know it's got like david bowie songs in it i mean what was the other movie at the time that was like that a knight's tale yeah uh so this is a thing that's happening around this time i don't know they're just it has all these modern anachronisms and flourishes in the storytelling of it but the film is actually again it looks really good it's you know, it's filmed in this very exciting, dynamic way. The performances are really fun. These two characters who are the gentlemen highwaymen of their era are very much at odds with each other. They're partners for mutual advantageous purposes, but they are always fighting with each other, and that has a fun energy to it. Liv is a, plays a great sort of you know, woman out of time, like a modern woman in an old movie. You know, if this were Scarlet Letter, all of this would be inappropriate, but it's not right. Scarlet Letter. It's a fun crime story that just happens to take place in this period era. The uh, Andrew, is it Andrew Stott? Kenneth. No, uh, it's... Uh, Kenneth. He was, he was the Ken nice... Stott. Ken Stott, yeah. Ken Stott. He was the nicest, friendliest, warmest uh, Hobbit in the Hobbit movies. He plays the villain in this thing. And, I mean, it's the most villainous, evil, horrible guy you've ever seen. And I love it. So it's got <laughs> all this, It's got the fun of a stupid chamber drama. It's got some fun horse chases and such. Um, it is very silly. It's very uh, smutty, I guess. It's lots of sex jokes. Everybody's sleeping with everybody. That's part of the fun of the thing. Alan Cumming is this very uh, who's the who's the he reminds me of like an unfiltered version of um, who's the famous playwright. The importance of being earnest. Oscar Wilde. Like if Oscar Wilde didn't have to be closeted and repressed. Alan Cummings' character in this movie is what he would have gotten to be. He would have been this ah. super witty, super fun. I mean, and what's not fun about that, right? right. But it right. is fun. And it is really pandering to audiences. And yet audiences didn't completely connect with it. And critics hated it. They just, I appreciate that. Because Roger's problem with it, even though he's saying it in kind of a douchey way. No offense. Rest in peace. He's the mm. best. Um his problem with it's my problem with things too, which is just tonally it's what can I grab onto? This movie has yep. no business getting all serious at this moment or to treat this like it's true love that actually matters when the rest of the movie's not really been treating it that way. So I get that, but it's super fun and super entertaining. And I just don't know how you can hate a movie that's trying to please you as much as this one is. Right. 
Give, cut it a break. Just smile yep. a little bit where appropriate and move on. You don't have to stomp on it on your way out the door. That's basically how I feel about Plunkett McLean. Um, yeah, on the, at the height of uh, at the height of his powers, uh, as young, sexy Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, and actually, was was this his follow up to Titanic? Um, his follow-up to Titanic was actually the um, Man in the Iron Mask, but this was uh, this was the big right. movie he this chose the big, to do yeah. after Titanic was a big after hit, Titanic, and his yes. stardom was assured. Yep, uh, and that is two uh, thousands. The Beach. Danny Boyle and Alex Garland wrote the novel. These are two of my favorite filmmakers right now. Um, uh, what do critics say about this? Do you have something up? Uh, yeah, let's see. Um, narrative that tries to juggle thriller elements, tons of pop culture imagery, and way too much philosophical baggage. Um, <laughs> let's see. Matt's assemblage of earlier better bungle in the jungle stories <laughs> it, it, it really uh, is let's let's follow our heart's desire and our a romantic idea of what it is to live out in nature and to mm. be cut off from the rest of the world in paradise and the politics and the sort of lord of the flies they're subtle in this film compared to some of the versions of this we've seen but that interjects itself and ruins everything <laughs> Yep. We, so we have yeah. seen this story a lot. This movie is the opposite of Plunkett and McLean. It keeps everything tightly wrapped and just tensely bundled up. And it, at every turn, it endeavors to not be an audience-pleasing experience. It wants to challenge the audience, and like in the way that, like a good serious play would, frankly. And that's to be admired, but it's not always to be enjoyed and and this did have leonardo you know this did it's the same babysitting money that made titanic the biggest movie of all time was going to go to this movie and when that those audiences showed up for this thing they were completely alienated and frustrated yeah it deserves better because it is better but it is it is on it is sort of unpleasant and awful and it shows a rather dark seedy side of humanity and that's that's just that for two hours yeah. even even amongst the beautiful scenery of southeast asia beaches is still t- a tough go well, i believe uh, yeah one of them uh says it's like a a, a lord of the flies for the nintendo generation um <laughs> Okay. The, okay, whoever you are, <laughs> Nintendo generation, thanks for that little bit of critical proof BS <laughs> that has no meaning now. Um, uh, I do remember I was out on tour yeah. during this with two other guys we were doing. I'm not even going to give you too many details about what the tour was, but it was cool. It was good work for a theater guy at the time. And one of them really hated Leonardo DiCaprio. And every time, and this was right when this movie was coming out, we were out in Pacific Northwest somewhere. And he every where he he had this sharpie, and everywhere he was, where it said the beach, or there was an article I remember that said Beach Boy, and it had Leo on it, and then it was like this. It wasn't even a review; it was one of those like pre movie mm-hmm. release interviews or whatever. He with the sharpie, he would change all the beaches to bitch. <laughs> 
whether we were in a high school gymnasium or whether right. wherever we were, yeah. he would go out of his way to say, bitch boy, the bitch with Leonardo, because he just hated Leonardo for some reason. Why? Why? Yeah, I was going to say. Why? Boy, I don't know. Boy, I used to hate Alanis Morissette. Why? Because we're right. young and stupid. Right. And I, but I think that 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 hate of Leonardo, that backlash of the success of Oh, yeah. of titanic yeah. that also fed into it you know because i think because no titanic became critic proof sure. that they were gonna absolutely they're gonna destroy that they were gonna come get them uh and i think that is part of it um, what's the shame of it is it's not that they're wrong about the beach the beach is a tough go it, it's that uh, for him trying to tell this sort of story and for him trying to tell a pretentious story with deep philosophical meaning in it, we just ripped on it because maybe it doesn't work entirely. And I think that's small of us. I just do. Yep. I think, you know, it is what it is. G good for him for trying something different and for caring enough to, you know, I don't love Leo and I certainly don't love all his movies and I don't even really like the beach, but it got a bit of a raw deal. Yep. I think. Um, here's it, okay. This is a hot take I'm just coming up with, and you can absolutely shoot it down. Is like early 2000s Ben Affleck? Is he? Is he the 1990s Treat Williams or 1980s Treat Williams? <laughs> no, no. He, okay. Ben Affleck. What is Ben? Who does Ben Affleck compare to from a different era? Ben mm. Affleck, Matt Damon. Those guys. That generation of actors really are. Dare I say, the Nintendo generation? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we dare say it. Um, well, <laughs> but that's for whatever that hell that means. But I do sort of get it. You, you are, mm. you're this thing, and you guys are your own thing. So this is this that group of people that were of that age uh, at that time, and that were starring in these films. You know, there's a whole list of them. Ed Norton. We already talked about Mini Driver. Um, mm -hmm. It. You know they they were their own thing truly, and that's so I don't I don't think there's some equivalent to Ben. Maybe now there is that he's an older guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I and I'm very specifically not talking. I'm not talk, talking about his whole body of work. I'm just talking about this this yeah. period. Uh, and and the movie in specifically uh, is Reindeer Games uh, from uh. 2000. Um, the movie that uh, that some say uh, some of the critics said this is the oh, kind of they film hated this which, movie. Amateurish baddies talked far too much before taking action. The, the sort of the overall feeling of this is um, is that it had it had the uh, it, its biggest crime is it just didn't do enough. It, it was just like it is trying to be well, as it's uh, it's you know. just a cheap, stupid movie, and mm -hmm. it is aspiring to be. Pulp Fictiony and Reservoir Dogsy, like it's trying to be that hip, cool thing, and and when and yet it's got John Frankenheimer, who must have been in his eighties when he did this. Right, Frankenheimer right. did Ronin a couple of years later, and and redeemed himself by doing a movie that he that he's good at doing. Yeah. This film with these kids and this old storyteller has one thing going for it, and that it has a big twist right in the middle of the movie, and that twist. And I'm not going to reveal what it is, but that because we got another movie at the end of this list that does the exact same thing, and everybody hates it for the same reason. <laughs> <laughs> that that bait and switch, whatever that is, 
feels like a betrayal of what the only thing you cared about up until that point in the movie. And whenever you do that to audiences, sometimes it works and it works like gangbusters in right, this, right. in this movie. It is whatever the opposite of working is. <laughs> it is like, it's more than um, just not yeah. working. It's this, it, 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 betrays it punishes, the thing. it betrays. Yeah. And, and, and then it's, and there's still a whole lot of, and it doesn't happen at the end. It happens right in the middle. So there's a whole lot of movie that you got to suffer through after that. Mm-hmm. And it, but again, taken on its own terms, it's pretty exciting. It's, you know, Affleck's pretty good in it. The casino heist is, ex, is weird and exciting and fun. There's lots of fun, goofy dialogue in it. Uh, but boy, is it, 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 the, my memory of it, and I have the same feeling when I think about it, is this, Ugh. oh yeah, that. What's that about again? Oh yeah. Ugh. <laughs> so, you go, and you go that's through that, a, yeah. you go through that cycle every time you think about it. That, to me, that's, the critics are nice and they don't reveal it because you can't. Right. And yet, you, and yet we um, all, this is a time where we all had the same reaction. Uh, oh no, really? Ah, do you feel like audiences should give it another chance or do you feel like uh like Dwayne Dudek from Milwaukee Journal Sentinel said reindeer games you are sorely tempted to laugh and call it names <laughs> audiences should not give it another chance if you've never seen it before i do think unless you've lived a perfectly chaste life you deserve to be disappointed like the rest of us were with it <laughs> and for the same reasons it's it's not. It's a bit torturous, <laughs> but it builds character. You're getting through to the end of Reindeer Game, so if, if that doesn't pique your curiosity, I don't know what will. It, this it, is Reindeer Games is the movie equivalent to carrots. It puts hair on your chest. You got to do it. All right, let's you keep moving. We'll see if we can do as many of these as we can. I really don't think uh, this topic deserves two shows, so I want to. No, I don't really. I'm not sure either. But uh, next up is uh, a movie that was the subject of one of my favorite jokes in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but it is uh, Nicolas Cage and Captain Corelli's Mandolin. Uh, Captain Keller's Corelli's Mandolin is, is it's like a romance novel turned into a movie by uh, John Madden, right? Who made uh, Shakespeare in Love. Yes. Which I, which I don't, I'm not a huge fan of Shakespeare in Love. First, let's get that out of the way. Um, right. And a movie about Shakespeare and a period drama it has to do a lot to alienate me. <laughs> and Shakespeare in Love really works overtime to do it. And eventually, <laughs> by the time it's over, pretty much does it. I uh, did it! Yay! You, you did it. I... I think I hate you now. I'm not really sure. Um, Captain Corelli's Mandolin's the opposite. It tries so hard to tell this moving story about these real people, and it just is. It just is boring. It's really boring. It's really high minded, and it's really boring, Joel. And and if that if that were all, we'd be okay. But what it also has is this heavily accented renaissance man italian soldier during the uh during world war ii he's an auxiliary soldier you know at first with the nazis and he's in his own country or is he in greece 
He's in Greece. He's in Greece, yep. So he's an Italian soldier on the Axis. They're the bad guys. But he's Italian. He's not a German. <laughs> Cinematically, that's a, a real difference. He's in Greece, a neighboring country with people who look and talk the same and kind of live the same lives. And he brings this sort of, hey, let's all... Let's all have a music night and let's do this. Like, he's just, as an occupier, he's terrible. And whenever one of his soldiers is doing something bad, he stops them. And he falls in love with this Greek woman. And then, you know, things at the end of the war get a little more desperate. And, you know, whatever. I don't know why I'm giving this. It's boring. It's really yeah. boring. It's got a really, really heavy-handed, uh, tragic accident at the end of it. Uh, without ruining it, think of um, think of the ending to uh, um, shit. You know, if you can't remember anything, yeah. Well, here I remember the name of the that's... remake. <laughs> think of the ending of City of Angels, and you have some idea of where this film oh, is sure. going. Yeah, yeah. And if you don't know, then I didn't tell you. Yay! Right um, there, you go. It and it's just weepy and silly and and Nick is terrible in it. He's just and I don't think he's doing anything wrong. I think he's just he's set up to fail. The woman's <laughs> quieter, it's more serious. Does a is uh, who's the lady in it? Um, Penelope, Penelope Cruz. Cruz. So yeah. she's for her. She's really good in it. I think. Um, but it's it's Nick, and they were ready to pounce on him, and he plays this sort of cartoony over the top thing and it's bad. So I, yep. I'm with the critics yep. on that, but, but that if it could have been either thing, if it could have not been boring and been a little cartoony, I could have lived with it. If it could have been boring, but not silly, I could have lived with it truly because it's not a terrible story yep. to tell. And it just doesn't, it can't find its way, unfortunately. So. And that is, that's a pretty, um, that's that's pretty uh, indicative of of. But it's the, it what does feel like it. kicking a puppy to hate it, whereas sure. Reindeer Games feels like you deserve this. You did this to me, and I'm going to get back at you. And and Captain Curly's man, oh, it's just this war love story. It's like what you don't be just leave it alone. Yeah, it sucks. Leave it alone. It's not hurting anybody. You know what I mean? uh. <laughs> so that's why it's on this list because it's really hated and it isn't good, but it, but somebody somewhere probably liked it, which kind of leads into one well, of the next few, Yeah. A few people. Yeah. A few people just really thought it was, you know, Oh, it's the beautiful, it's beautiful Greek, you know, picturesque blah, and blah. love and yeah. blah, blah. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Uh, next up is, uh, well, hey, you know who's back on our list is Charlize Theron. Woo! In 2002's Trapped. Trapped's a kidnapping movie. It's almost as good as Ransom, but it isn't. There's no reason to hate it at all. Boom. There. We don't have to spend any more time on there Trapped. There you go. Uh, it's a kidnapping they... movie. Rich, yuppie couple gets their kid kidnapped and has to go to extremes to get him back. I mean, that's not great. We've seen that a million times before, but that what's so bad about Trap that it only gets single-digit composite? Mm -hmm. I, I just don't know. Kevin Bacon, he doesn't really shut up, but he's that's the kidnapper. Think about these films. The kidnapper just wants their money. They're trying to keep you calm. That you being panicked and threatened don't do you any good. So the bad guy in these types of films needs to act in a certain way to get paid. Essentially, <laughs> uh, Courtney yeah. loves in it. Stuart Townsend's in it. It's a, it's not good, but it it come on, give it a rest, yeah. give it a break. 
Um, yeah, it, it I mean, passes an hour and forty minutes of your time with ease, and it, it is involving enough for what it is. Its biggest crime is that it's another disposable kidnapping thriller. Yeah. The twist in it it no longer surprises because yeah, apparently yeah. the twist is is something that we've we've seen before and seen better. Yeah, so that's pretty much. Uh, it's still a they, well. It's still a well crafted, you know, suspense film. So it, it even though it, that's correct, feels it, like the faceless product of a Hollywood screenwriting computer program. <laughs> Solid line, Chris Wagner of the Dallas Morning News. Okay, fair enough. We'll let him have the last word on the trap. (laughs) Sounds good. All right. Next, I'm just saying, if you come across trapped, and it says you like this, you probably will. It is really one of those movies that's totally ripped on, but that really, I mean, it is derivative. I won't lie, but so good. Mm -hmm. See, Chris, I had the last word, you bastard. Um, do you think that uh, uh, the movie in 2002's Dragonfly that it really was just people going after Kevin Costner, uh, which became such a huge? Um, well, you know, that look, became, that this is made own. by this is a a horror movie ostensibly, a ghost story. I guess would be more accurate mm-hmm. way thing to call it. I don't think Costner's the problem in it. I, 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 okay, I, I, but it is. It is. Even for a ghost story, like even compared to something like uh, the what's the Zemeckis one with Michelle Pfeiffer, the Zemeckis with Michelle Pfeiffer. Um... Yeah, they made it's kind of fun. They made a horror movie in between Tom Hanks losing weight to make uh, Castaway. Oh, Castaway! <laughs> they just got yeah, together and right. made a whole other movie in the interim. Oh my and gosh, it's that's when, right. When or where or something? Anyway, it's another ghost story. This movie compared to that is tame on a level that it almost can't be quantified. And for that, it's punished because it doesn't appeal to horror fans. The romance in it isn't enough. You know, none of, nothing's enough. It's made by the the dude who made uh, Bruce Almighty. So it's 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 made by a pedestrian, lame personality list director in a lame and personality list way. And yet. And so I may not like it. It's too lame for even me. Costner does the, as good a job as he can with the material. He's a good fit for it, in fact, mm-hmm. because the film needs some integrity to come from someplace, and he he provides it. So he's the opposite of the problem. They're, we're lucky to get him. Um, but it's it's kind of lame and boring. Although audiences really, this is a film where the audience rating is up near eighty and the critic rating is down at seven. And so mm. it, it's that same as we talked about at the very first thing we talked about. It's that Oscar disconnect. Audiences enjoyed this. Hollywood was right about this, and we were wrong about it. It's worth mentioning for that for that fact. Yep. Uh, really, they really hate the final reel. They really hate the ending and um, the 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 ending part. Uh, you know, this is not boy, I, again. I, really it's a ghost story. It. Boy, I hesitate. I hesitate to call it a, a, a horror film. Yeah. But we've talked on the show. You cannot hold them not sticking the landing against an otherwise decent horror film, or you have right. to hate them all. Because it's a really hard thing to tell a supernatural story and hit that right, perfect, magical spot. It's really, really tough. So I, I don't hold that against the ending against Dragonfly at all, actually. Um, but I get what they're what saying. Li- 
Yeah, What Lies Beneath is the Zemeckis film oh, that you're you. uh, trying to just remember. Yeah. That, and, and for if you want to watch this kind me. of movie, What Lies Beneath is way, way better. Obviously, Zemeckis. Okay. Zemeckis is operating at an entirely different level than Tom Shadyak or whatever that whatever the yep. Bruce Almighty hack is doing. He's terrible. Um, I mean, he's just a, we... he's, no offense. I don't like to paint people with one single brush, but... He literally is one of the reasons movies suck. All his movies are bad, and they're all badly made. So, you know, what is, uh, else is there to say about an artist at a certain point? Right, right. Um, let's see. Does uh, Is 2002's Basic basically <laughs> bad? Yeah, well, same problem. This movie has a big twist that audiences didn't buy. I hate to even say it. You've heard me on the show when I was trying last week not to spoil movies from the '60s. I don't like I don't like even saying there's a twist because that in and of itself is a spoiler movie. Now, if you watch Basic, right. you're gonna be waiting. For you're it. gonna be waiting for the twist, yeah. And that's a that's as huge a spoiler as you can give, honestly. So, but I just can tell you that this film, again, a John McTiernan film with a bunch of stars in it, lots Trimble, of excitement, uh, Jack, a central, yeah. an investigation movie where you're asking everybody the different points of the story or whatever, you know, the different points of view. Um, it's fun in that way. And it yeah. just, it, it has a, it has a, it has a conclusion that makes the conclusion to Dragonfly seem a hundred percent satisfying. It just, mm. you just watch it and you kind of in awe of it. You're like, this is what it was. And it's hard, man, because a good twist makes your legend. It may, it, it elevates you to the heavens and, and a, a bad twist. That the audience, it's not so much that they don't buy, but that they didn't yeah. want <laughs> really, really pisses people off. And that's the big issue with basic, but basics really exciting really intense uh, dare i say for an intense movie about a murder it's fun like there's a lot to like about it and it's really well made so i i, I, I with the, i'm with audiences i'm with critics the twist is terrible but it that doesn't rob basic of its right to be it's not a bad i'm movie. not sure i'm not sure i understand this line but for some reason i keep coming back to it ed park of the village voice said nothing is as it appears Except the fact that nothing is as it appears. <laughs> well done, I dude. think I'm interpreting that line. You right. see all that <laughs> talking that I just had to do, and he just nailed yeah. it. Good job. Yeah. No, no uh, doubt. <laughs> um, uh, do you think people should give Basic a chance, or is that uh, yes? Is that, I, I, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Great. Yeah, the ending blows, and so you might have a hard time getting over that it's it mm -hmm. you know a big ending the right ending is satisfying it sends you out feeling good about the movie the wrong ending makes you mad at it but that doesn't mean that basic still isn't a, like a goofy roller coaster mm -hmm. of a film that's worth checking out if you um, otherwise like that it's a military murder mystery with mm -hmm. a lot of talk and a lot of interviewing and a lot of craziness and yeah it's good i like it right uh, I I remember spending but, a lot Joel, of time. Just again, yes. The, the ending is terrible. It really is as bad. It's as it's almost as bad an ending as you could dream up. Like it's it's like a room full of people tried to think of tried to up themselves by thinking of a worse way it could go, and then mm. it goes that way. But even that takes a certain sort of storytelling commitment that I almost admire. Yep. 
I remember spending quite a bit of time in the early 2000s um, wondering when Billy Bob Thornton was going to play Davy Crockett. Um, and luckily, we got that in the Alamo. I really liked the Alamo, you know. I remember liking the Alamo, too. Um, it, it, it takes all the, but it really does. It's crime is that it takes all the legends of these heroes whose names we know by heart and really brings them down to the harsh reality of what a siege, a lopsided siege of that kind would, would be. Um, and, and audiences didn't like that. This is, uh, directed by John Lee Hancock. Mm-hmm. Again, it's very important. I started the movie show with Joel and Ryan by mixing up the John Hancocks. It's really important I get it right. John yep. Lee Hancock, who brought you the crowd-pleasing, like, pandering, the blind side. Here's his, essentially, his best movie that has all the trappings of a big war epic from a war that is almost never put on film. It's one of the most fat famous battles and it's hard to call it American history because it doesn't take place in America. <laughs> the Alamo wasn't in America mm-hmm. at the time. Um, not technically, or perhaps nope. that's what the debate was about it. And it's great. Billy Bob Thornton is a fantastic yeah. full of him himself and his own legend. Um, Davy Crockett, uh, uh, People don't love him, but Jason Patrick's Jim Bowie's fantastic. Dennis mm-hmm. Quaid is in it. Um, who's the other big star in it? There's one other guy. Uh, the, 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 well, but the um, Mexican Patrick side Wilson, of this. Um, Patrick Wilson is the other guy. Yeah, Patrick yeah. Wilson. Yeah. Not as big a star at the time, but I think his stardom mm-hmm. has grown to be about equal with these other cats. Um, I think so. And... And uh, the, 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 again, the other side, the Mexican side of the tale is also told with a lot of integrity. But we lost the Alamo. You know, it's hard to take this story and turn it into a Hollywood thing. They right. do skip ahead to San Jacinto and the sort of revenge of the Alamo. So they, like, in, like Pearl Harbor does, they kind of have their cake and eat it a little bit. But even that works this is a really good movie that critics didn't understand because it's kind of an, it's again, it's kind of an unpleasant movie, but I really think it's pretty great. I don't, I, it's hard to imagine a better, more authentic feeling version of the Alamo story ever being told. Honestly. Well, yeah. And that seems to be, uh, that seems to be the critical uh, consensus here is that this movie is uh, it's talky. It's way more history than it is action film. And it's like, well, what did, yeah, and that's um, what it was. What do you want? Yeah, that's what it was. I do like uh, Linda Cook of the Quad City Times says you may or may not remember the Alamo. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Any, yep. this is another movie that it's hard to find a place to watch it. Like it is a Disney movie. So's Deep Rising, by the way. I mean, it's like where so's Thirteenth Warrior. Yeah, Disney Plus is not going to have Deep Rising on it. I, I can't imagine a, a future where that's true. Maybe not even Thirteenth Warrior, though that would be easier. This right. this could be on there because there's nothing super objectionable in it, but it you're selling to the Disney audience and you just you're selling the wrong thing. So, all right, <laughs> sorry, I just saw a critical quote of our next movie and I Read was it. not expecting it. <laughs> Read <laughs> it, right. baby. 
Okay, I loved basketball more than anything in the world until I watched the basketball scene in Catwoman. Now I hate basketball. Hey, I can do Catwoman real quick. I'm going to do it by yep. repeating myself. Catwoman was only liked by one critic in all of America, Mick LaSalle for the San Francisco Examiner, I believe. My least favorite film critic alive. Mick LaSalle and I disagree on everything. But uh, credit to Mick. His reviews, even though I don't agree with him, his he's a good writer, and his reviews provide clarity. And that's a critic's number one job. It's not to agree with you on everything. It's, it really is to have read his review and know whether you will like something or not. He liked Catwoman. He was the only, he truly was the only one who did, the only big newspaper mainstream critic at the time. But mm -hmm. I'll tell you a story of a couple other people who liked Catwoman. I went and saw Catwoman with my uh, date at the time. We sat behind three uh, girls, like teenagers-ish, like, and one might have been a tween. Maybe they were sisters. I really, I don't know their oh. story. And Catwoman is terrible. It's directed by this French guy, a French special effects artist named Pitoff, whose biggest Hollywood thing he'd been involved in was the special effects for Alien Resurrection, which is equally terrible. And... And Hallie, and they couldn't get Michelle Pfeiffer to play Catwoman again because she never wanted to get into that outfit again. It was truly as simple as that. Never have I heard of an, an actor turning down a huge payday and a giant blockbuster superstardom deal because that costume sucked and I'm never doing that again is the only time I remember. I'm sure that a lot of them suck. Don't get me wrong. But that blows my mind. So they got Halle Berry, who just won an Oscar for Monsters Ball. Um, and it's terrible. I mean, it's the worst, it's one of the worst movies ever. It's certainly in the running for the worst ever superhero movie. It makes the Phantom mm -hmm. look like an absolute work of art by comparison. Um, but Joel, these, Mick LaSalle accepted. These three girls were shouting at the screen. They were hooting and hollering. They were Team Catwoman 100%. And my my whole idea of what Catwoman is is colored by their by experiencing this with them vicariously through them. And I always say, if it made those three girls so happy, it can't really be evil, can it? And my answer is, it can't. And so Catwoman's sort of the weird fulcrum where God, we we all think this is bad, and yet it the power of these girls seeing themselves in this character in this shitty film <laughs> was palpable in the room. And I felt yeah. it and it made me lighten up and have a good time. And so that's my Catwoman experience. It's unique, but, uh, but I don't think it's completely unique for the time. You know, I really mm -hmm. don't. I think, I think that's something that that movie accomplishes that we that nobody bothered to witness or recognize. I certainly wouldn't if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes. If I'd right. even been sitting in front of them, I just don't know that it would have been the same experience. So, right. Um, I mean, this go. was at a. I mean, yeah, this was before we. You know, yeah, before we even talked about representation mattering. That this that was before that was part of our lexicon. It mattered. Um, I mean, it mattered. It, that day, that afternoon, it it totally mattered. It made all the difference in the world. And, and that's there you go. So, <laughs> so 
Should it be? It, 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 but it is a bad movie. Yeah, yeah. So it's a downright terrible saying, movie. Yeah, it's a downright terrible movie. So it's, we're not it's, saying it's you vampy. need to go out and read it. And it doesn't even. It was made by an effects artist, and it doesn't have good effects in it. And it doesn't even have like the that world of the story. It's just office buildings, and it's just it. it watching this yeah. cat person dressed like a cat run around in that real boring context is is it has is terrible so there's right. no the creativity i can see how pitoff if that is your real name sir mm-hmm. could make a movie that would make us that would make us feel silly or stupid but i i'm shocked at how little style catwoman has when i see right. it I, how could they miss that part of it yeah i, I don't know how um Probably the movie we're going to end on this week. And we have other movies here. Maybe we'll come back and do this another week. Maybe we won't. Um, but uh, but this movie, I think, to end on here um, is, is the kind of movie that literally everybody, uh, all of the critics pretty much say the exact same thing. Mm. Um, but because of what they say, it either gets a, a decent score or like a, a decent critical review or it's absolutely lambasted, uh, and it's uh, pretty much it's uh, it's dorky and silly and um, uh, and and amusing, and that is either going to give it like one star or give it three or four. Um, it you know uh, Richard Roper, who I don't pretty much do very rarely do I agree with him. Um, but Richard Roper, uh, did say, I shouldn't say I rarely agree with him. Sometimes I agree with him. I just don't think he's a very good writer. Uh, but he, uh, it was exactly what I expected. And that's not something I didn't really want to see. And that's something I didn't really want to see. So, um, I kind of, well, but that, 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 that that alone, and I don't, I still don't even know what the movie is, but, um, that alone is a phenomenon that's worth discussing in and of itself. These films are critics jobs and sometimes you get them at a bad time. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's the last blockbuster of the summer and it's because it's last because it's one of the dumbest and they've had to sit through 13 of these things. And this is the 14th and they don't want to watch this and it's their job to watch it. And I got to tell you, another part of their job is to get over that. It's hard it's hard for mm-hmm. me. It, it's hard just for all humans, and I appreciate why it's hard. But you have to get over it. What is it? Does it accomplish what it is, what it set out to do? That's, to some degree, you can you can go off on tangents, but you have to be judging the thing at, by those merits, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Or if you're judging it for what it isn't, or because it's not the thing you wanted to see, if you're comparing it to the movie you'd rather watched you are absolutely way off the righteous path of what being mm-hmm. a critic really is. And you're no better than these, than us, than the YouTube right. guys, than all the guys who just, fantastic four should be this. It's just, that's not, right. what is it? Ask yourself. It's the number one thing in your little, how to be a critic writing class that they, that they ask you and you, you can't, yeah completely take your eye off the ball of that or you are like what i said with mick who i can't stand really his taste in movies but who's a good writer he 
he gets that and doesn't take his eye off off that ever and that's why he's that's why he's readable in a way that I I don't I've never had a specific problem with Richard but maybe in a way that Richard isn't yeah certainly in a way um, that Owen Gleiberman isn't he's the worst mainstream writer in the history of criti- criticism who's just I wanted it to be this, or I see why this is like this, so I like it because I understand it. Or I don't really understand it, so it must be terrible. Like he's just, he's got his head so far up his own ass throughout history that he can't engage with things that don't directly relate to his feelings or biases. That's a terrible critic, even though Gleiberman is a pretty good writer, actually. No, he well, he's very he's very witty. He very readable. He, he turn knows how to turn a phrase. Uh, he's he's very good at that. He's just a shit um, critic. Because yep, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I, well, this one, um, you know, this one was uh, largely, you know, sort of lambasted for, uh, for like desperately or or just intentionally saying we're going to be a family film. Damn it. And, you know, for, for going, for going, like we, we, you know, we could tell an actual story here, but we're so hell bent on making this family fun entertainment <laughs> that uh, we're going to instead do a, 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 some sort of physical gag. Um, Chris Hewitt of the St. Paul Pioneer Press uh, said, I don't know why they call it around the world in 80 days. Watching it feels like it only takes five, maybe six days. <laughs> <laughs> way to go Chris. Really, that's i like that line yep um well this is yes, a ta- we a, <laughs> okay around the world all right it feel another critic said ah, it feels like uh this is uh on its way to being the next uh the next ride at disney <laughs> they're uh yeah that didn't happen they're um they're making it again <laughs> here it comes it's coming yeah Yes, that's true. They just keep making this story, Jules Verne's Around the World in 80 Days, which is little more than a tra- travelogue with, with jokes. Um, I watched the original, I guess we'll call it the original, but the original, the David Niven film from the uh, the big CinemaScope film from the late 50s or early 60s. I can't remember which. I think late yeah. 50s. Um, and it is, it really is just, we're on a train going over a bridge. Wow. And and I think the thing when you're watching that movie that you have to appreciate is that really was, wow. We're in Thailand in a train on this old bridge and you're watching it on a screen that's the size of a city block. And I mean, the experience of watching Around the World in 80 Days back then was different than what it is when I'm sitting here watching it on my TV now going, why are we watching bullfighting for six and a half minutes? This is just, just show the bullfighting, then go cut to the movie that we came for. You know, it mm-hmm. doesn't have to be a three hour movie. And around the world in 80 days, the, the 2000, early 2000s version isn't, isn't, um, it's only two hours and change. <laughs> Yeah, but it does sort of feel interminable, and I'm not sure why. Jackie Chan's fun in it. Steve Coogan plays it straight, and he's genuinely fun in it. It's a big budget, again, big budget travelogue with exotic lands and jokes and sweeping romance. But it is, it's it's laughably antiquated in its yeah, and it's a gag a minute, like Joel said, it's a gag a minute. Um, and yet none of, none of them, liked, are, but most did not. Well, because none of them are sarcastic. It, it doesn't, 
it it gives you all these stunts and gags without ever poking fun at itself. I don't know that that would have made it better, but that we're going to make a serious or, or not. We're going to make a serious film because it is not serious, mm-hmm. but we're going to make a family film. Damn it is truly yeah. the, I get that, that, that here. I, I feel like this, uh, this, this uh, kind of sums up a lot of what I'm hearing from you, John Monahan of the Detroit Free Press, that despite all the audience-pleasing laughs and daring do, it fa- fails to take us anywhere that we haven't been before. Yeah, it's hopelessly antiquated. Yeah. Jules Verne, yeah. I mean, who who is waxing nostalgic about this anymore? The idea was, well, it's not so different than the what are the the Jackie Chan Owen Wilson films of the time it's really a lot yeah the um the uh I can't remember uh, the Shanghai 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 noon Shanghai, Shanghai noon and Shanghai nights yeah it that's all this is is that again it's just it and it's got the perfect sort of time honored sellable old story to hang that on but for some reason, and I don't, I'm not a big fan of Shanghai Noon or Shanghai. And it's the same problem: gags, goofs. It just there's nothing there to hang your hat on in terms of any sort of storytelling meaning to the thing. It's just a, mm-hmm. a, a lark. And this could have laid off the gags a little bit and been considerably better. And it isn't, even though it's gorgeous, man. It's a really beautiful film. It's it's really accomplished. Um, the CGI in it is miraculous. You know, the, the crowd scenes are big. You feel all the people. I, I, I dig it and admire it. And I even have fun with it. But it, it is really tough for it to keep my focus. And mm-hmm. and I'm one where you don't hear me say, oh, it's too old-fashioned very often. I love an old-fashioned adventure tale. The more older, fashioneder, the better. And this, just, it's just... It's got yeah. that modern silliness with all of the traits of a film from the 50s. And who were they selling that to at the time? I mean, I know who the Shanghai yeah. Noon fans. I, that's who. Yeah. It's so, it's just whatever they had happening that connected with people in that isn't here. And that's a worthy right. study in and of itself. <laughs> so if if you are looking for, I mean, if you are looking for a family film, if you're looking for something that is light, fluffy, and just sort of jokey and and silly, maybe you know, maybe uh, around the world and in eighty days isn't a bad, a little bit racist. Just well, yeah, bit. I mean, just a so we you know, old fashioned travelogues based on Jules Verne, the the racial politics. Of the day, even if you make it in 2009, they're gonna seep into it a little bit. Yeah, it almost can't be helped. It would almost be disappointing if you didn't have a little, you know, white movie star playing a ethnic yep. character. Like <laughs> this film would feel even emptier without that. And yet, yeah. and yet, it's only been ten. It's only been what 13 years, and that's that's a no go, baby. That's a sure. you don't do this anymore, and rightfully so. Thing that you don't have to travel too far back to see it, sort of in action. Right, it's, you know, it's kind of funny. Not funny, uh, haha, but not funny, haha, but funny, <laughs> funny, but mm, that's interesting. 
That's a choice. I'm, I'm glad I'm a white person. This isn't offending me that much. <laughs> yeah. The way, uh, the way, even though I do recognize this is clearly offensive. I, like, you remember yeah. when all movies used to have something dangerous like that in it? Not anymore, baby. Yeah. Nope. Um, all right. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we Am I being a dick when I say it all goofy like that? I, just, I feel like when you go back and no. watch it from the 50s, you see all that and you're like, what can I do? It was the 50s. Mm -hmm. I don't want to just, I don't want to banish this to the netherworld because it has this stuff in it. But 2009, when you've got a, even just a little bit of that, it makes you go, whoa. Yep. You, <laughs> yeah. It should, I suppose. Should, but it, should, it, yeah, because it's, like, it, it's like, shouldn't we have known better? We should really. This is two thousand nine. We did Ooh, know we better, and yeah, that's, we did know better, and it didn't stop. Yeah, that's what's interesting about it. If dare I say, that when you watch it, you're like, "Wow, they they did it." Mm -hmm. They did it anyway. All right, so we took you through. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirty, forty, fifty, like seventeen films here. Oh my god! Uh, so there's thirteen that... left. Well, sure, which we maybe will do. Maybe we won't. We'll see. Maybe, I think maybe next week we'll still move on to sci-fi. Uh, yeah, maybe yeah. we'll come back later in the year and, and talk about these movies. It's a fun, movies it's a fun category, anymore. and these are movies. I Some some of these maybe, you know, you, we always reserve the right, but where what lists and what filmmaker, like, you know what I mean, celebrations are any of these really going to fall on? They're not. Right. So here's a a fun way for us to do a little clearing house of movies that are fun to talk about because they're from our semi immediate yeah. past, I think. And and maybe and and I hope that we said something that will make you go, huh, maybe I should maybe I should check that film out. I missed it the first time around. Or I remember really you know, really not liking it, but maybe I should uh maybe I should get we hope we that we've done that for you. We hope that maybe you uh you you have found um, an excuse to watch the Thirteenth Warrior again. Um, so, uh, but I mean, obviously, feel free to drop us a line and tell us if you think that there is one there's that there's a movie out there that we didn't mention um, that is uh, that is like oh man, everyone missed the boat on this one, and it this is an awesome movie. Tell Real us. quick, I know yeah. Joel, you're right in the middle of wrapping this up poetically and wonderfully and telling everybody where they can visit us, but in Thirteenth Warrior. They give uh, all these Vikings are like three feet taller than Antonio. <laughs> his, yeah. Even his horse is small. They call it the dog. Um, he, he, they give him this sword when the bad guys are coming and he, he can't he barely lift it. He's like, I can't even lift this. And they're like, get stronger. You know, I don't know what you want. I'm a Viking. Yeah. Right. And so he, he goes, is there, he goes, there is, is there a Smith around here or whatever? And he brings it to him and he has them out of this massive sword. He has them create this curved like scythe sort of sword that he can yeah he's like a badass yeah. with this thing and he kind of shows up and he's really proud of himself and he does the whole flipping the sword around or whatever and one of the vikings mm -hmm. i think played by tony Curran, but i'm not sure he's he is one of them i'm not sure if he's the one with this line but he says when you die can i have that for my daughter <laughs> <laughs> Uh, good. 13th warrior is really unimpeachably awesome for what it is okay i don't know what people's problem with it was it, it other than it wasn't the movie the critics wanted at the time that's clear from the reaction yeah. but 
All right, gang, that is your takeaway from this episode is watch the 13th Warrior. If, if you get nothing else from us uh, from this episode of the movie show with Joel and Ryan, it's to yeah. watch the 13th Warrior. Yeah. Um, and, but of course, you can reach out to us on the movie show with Joel and Ryan page on Facebook at Ask Joel, Ask uh, at Ask Joel and Ryan on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. And you can email us <laughs> Ask Joel and Ryan at gmail.com calm uh all right everybody well uh I, we we're gonna talk about some more um uh movies that for some reason have the tag underrated on them uh that will be more next week sci-fi care, space fantasy edition pew, pew, thank pew. you for listening to the movie show with joel and ryan Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out. <laughs>